we're back with another episode of the MTP Connect podcast. Thank you for joining us. And today our spotlight is on the Cancer Therapeutics CRC. To discuss what they're up to, the CEO, Brett Carter, joins us. Brett, hello. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, let's begin at the beginning. Uh, tell us about the Cancer Therapeutics CRC. Sure. Uh, Cancer Therapeutics CRC, the CRC stands for Cooperative Research Centre, not uh, colorectal cancer. Um, <laughs> important and distinction. A very important distinction. Um, and I think it's it's a, a program, the CRC program has been running for around about 20 years, perhaps even longer, and it's funded by the federal government. Uh, and it's looking to, I suppose, fix challenges or problems that exist in the Australian ecosystem. Uh, we are focused on drug discovery for cancer. Uh, we're, we're, our, our, our motto is to find cures for cancer. And so what we do is work with a number of Australians leading medical research institutes, uh, universities and the CSIRO, uh, and we conduct drug discovery. So in Australia, we are one of the world leaders of medical research. We're fantastic at it and we constantly punch well above our weight. What we're much less successful at is turning those fundamental discoveries and the fundamental um, biological research that we do into new drugs for patients. Um, often what we do is we publish that information and then other third parties will pick up that information and either translate it into new drugs for patients and get the commercial value from it. So we're very much trying to plug that gap in the Australian ecosystem with a focus on cancer. So like a complementary sort of role with the, with the pure medical research that's going on, health and medical research that's going on. Absolutely, because we, we are world leaders in that health and medical research space and, and, and that presents a huge opportunity to take that research and work with those researchers to then translate it into new drugs uh, for patients. So for the, both for the benefit of patients, but also the benefit of the Australian ecosystem, uh, and hopefully to build um, a biotech ecosystem here in Australia, which is which we have, you know, in a nascent state, but actually to build that out in uh, in a lot more detail and and with much more depth. So, in terms of a flow of work, all of that um, health and medical research that's going on, are you kind of swamped with opportunities, given that there's a gap in the in the ecosystem? Uh, well, so we, we've we've never um, had problems finding new targets to work on, um, and so I suppose are we swamped? Uh, I, I wouldn't say we're swamped. I'd say that there's there's always been enough new opportunities for us to work on, um, I, and I suppose we haven't had to do too much work to actively look for new opportunities. When we do find new opportunities, though, they need to be what's referred to as appropriately validated. So we need to be confident that there is a role that they play in cancer that we can demonstrate, you know, that, that, that there's a clear clinical application, that the role that they play is in enough cancers that there might be a commercial return uh, because it's very expensive to do this work. Uh, and so we need to, tr we're trying to create an organisation that is sustainable. Uh, so there are a number of criteria or hurdles that we need to overcome. But but I, th I would say there, there has been more than adequate flow of opportunities. And I think if we looked harder, we'd find more opportunities than what we've currently uh, uncovered. And do you have a particular focus, a particular area of cancer research that you're looking at? Yeah. So, I mean, we do focus on, not on specific uh, cancers, uh, but on specific types of mechanisms. Um, and so we, we do lots of work in immuno-oncology and uh, in, a, in an area called epigenetics uh, and also an area called um, RNA modulation. So they're the areas that we focus our research on. They could treat any types of cancer, uh, but that's where, where I suppose we have 
a unique skill set and capability, and that's why we focus in those areas. And and does does Australia have any particular competitive advantages in those areas compared to the rest of the world? I would say we have um, very very strong immunology capability across Australia, and so I think that is a competitive advantage. Um, but I think in general we just have great fundamental science. Uh, and so therefore, actually, we, I think we're quite well placed to work in any of those spaces uh, within Australia because we do have such good uh, access to what we would refer to as a biology champion. And that's somebody within a medical research institute or a university who has really, re- really deep understanding of the target. And, that, and when I refer to a target, I'm talking about a particular protein in the body and how that protein functions in the body. So what is going to come out of the work that you're doing? What, what do you create? Yeah, so we start with a target, which is the protein in the body, and then we do what's called small molecule drug discovery. Uh, And that means we're looking for a new chemical that can modulate that target, either uh, turn it off or turn it on effectively. And we will spend a lot of time screening um, chemical compounds to try and find one that is active against that target. Once we do find one that's active against that target... We then have to spend an enormous amount of time to make sure it's highly selective to the target so that it, it is not going to have off-target effects or side, side effects, that it's highly potent so that you only have to take a very, very small amount of the drug to get the desired effect. Because again, we know that when people have to take large quantities, A, it's practically difficult if you, if you have to take a, a big tablet or something or if you have to have a big bolus of an injection, but also it leads to more side effects and more problems. Um, but then there's also things like how, how rapidly is it cleared from the body? Uh, if it's cleared from the body too quickly, you won't have any therapeutic effect. It'll, it'll go into the body and it'll be cleared too rapidly to actually have the desired effect. So there's a, a number of specific criteria you need to meet in order to ha- create something which is considered to be a drug-like compound. We may be able to find fairly rapidly something that actually does modulate the target. It may take us many years to refine it to the point where it is drug-like, where we feel it actually has the properties to become a new drug. That process involves an enormous amount of both biology, biology input and chemistry input, but mostly it's focused on the chemistry to improve the original hit material you had, the original chemical that you found, which is probably not very potent, uh, not very selective, to then move that towards something, a chemical which is highly potent, highly selective, and has the other right characteristics. It's not too bound within the, in the, in the uh, plasma, so it's a, a bioavailable, it's not cleared too quickly, those types of things, to be a drug and, and to be something that can be given to patients with the end game of trying to cure cancer for, for the patients that receive it. And I imagine you would have a lot of interest in what you're doing through in that, throughout that refinement process from potential partners, big pharma that type of uh, venture capital uh, interest? Yeah, and so, I mean, that's a, it's a really good question, actually, because where we work is very, very early stage drug discovery and predominantly around the world, not exclusively, but predominantly that's funded by governments. Um, and it's because it's very, very high risk. Um, you know, only between one and two out of every 100 projects that we start would ever make a drug that hit the market. So the attrition rate is extremely high. The costs are very, very high. The timeframes are exceptionally long. So we're talking probably close to 15 years from us starting a program to something being able to get onto the market. And so predominantly that very, very early stage activity is is government funded uh, around most places around the world. As it starts to progress, what you find is you start to get more commercial interest. So the further you get down the pathway, the more likely people are to be interested. And when you get to the point where you have a compound that has drug-like properties and you can demonstrate in models that it uh, seems to be curing a cancer or at least 
effectively treating a cancer, then you'll start to get quite substantial interest from big pharma groups. Uh, and that's exactly where we have exited our programs in the past. What are you trying to achieve? Uh, you know, at what stage do you want to exit the the process such that such that there's a there's a there's a value add to the Australian ecosystem? Yeah, so there's a huge value add, or or a, a, let's say a modest value add to the Australian ecosystem in the work that we do already by taking this to what we would refer to as a preclinical candidate, and that's a, a compound that's drug like that looks as though it's working in preclinical models. So it's 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 not human models; it's it's preclinical models. And we've been able to sell those type of assets to big pharma companies. We've sold one to Merck um, for in excess of $700 million. Um, now, you've got to recognise that of the $700 million, only about $20 million of that comes up front. The rest is all milestones that you will receive if the drug continues to progress all the way to the market. Um, and last year, we did, uh, we did a deal with Pfizer uh, for in excess, well in excess of $600 million dollars. For exactly the same type of thing, we've received $20 million up front and then there's about another $650 million of milestones if the drug is able to go all the way through onto the market. And that's a big if, because even when we license these drugs to those organisations as candidates, and we've probably spent somewhere between three and 10 years working on them, the chances of success are still under 10%. Um, so there is a big value add. There's a huge opportunity if they do make it to market to bring significant value to Australia. Uh, what I would like to see Australia doing more of, so we've, we've done early translation, I'd like to actually see us taking it all the way into the clinic in Australia, uh, which would, would, would add a lot more value in Australia. It would mean that clinic, um, uh, patients on clinical trials would get first access to these potential new medicines. And it would also mean that there's a huge amount of additional value that comes back to the country because instead of doing a deal for 20 million upfront, you may be able to add another zero to the upfront value of that deal. Are we up for that? Are we have the capacities to be able to keep it in Australia for that long? Uh, we we have the we have a thin capability, but we do have the capability. There are groups who've done this type of thing before. The challenge is the investment required. Um, the, you know, you you spend. We would spend um, tens of millions of dollars on a program to get it to a preclinical candidate. Um, to get it from a preclinical candidate and take it into the clinic, um, depending on how far you go. Obviously, phase one studies are less expensive than phase two, which is less expensive than phase three. Uh, but you're talking about tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of dollars to take something into all the way um, onto the market. Uh, and so the challenge we have is finding the capital for those types of investments where the risk is still very high, um, where the time, time, time frames are still very long. So I think that's one of the big issues we've had in Australia. Um, and one of the reasons why Australian companies often do exit quite early because they struggle to find the capital to invest in those later stage programs. We're with Brett Carter from the Cancer Therapeutics CRC on the MTP Connect podcast. I'm going to pivot now to a project that we're working with you on. Tell us, tell us about that project. What sort of capacity is it adding to the to what you do? Yeah, I mean that's a that's a fantastic project. What we're looking to do is create um, a. Uh, a, a drug library um, and it's a, it's a library of compounds that can be screened against a target. So when we're looking to, to find a new drug, what we do is we start doing that by creating the protein and then screening different chemicals against that protein. And eventually the hope is that we'll find a chemical that does bind. It won't bind well, but it'll be the start point to create a new drug. And what we're working with MTP Connect uh, to do is to create a library of uh, about a quarter of a million compounds that have been um, selected from all around the world 
um, for their different properties as a screening library that's available both for the consortium members, but also more broadly across the Australian context. So if there's some academic groups or other groups who wish to screen this library, they can get access to it. Um, And it is unique in the Australian context. While there have been and there are other drug libraries in Australia, uh, they are smaller, um, they have a lifespan, um, and this is they have not been available broadly within the Australian context and to the Australian community. So I think it's a it's a fantastic thing for the Australian community to have access to and to be built within Australia if we want to be players in drug discovery. So yeah, a broader boost to our drug discovery capabilities. How how's that going? How progressed are we? It's progressing very well. So we're expecting to have, as I say, around about a quarter of a million compounds by the end of it. Uh, I think we have around about 200,000 compounds that we've secured so far. Uh, it also includes some investment in infrastructure to contain and, and hold uh, those compounds and to pick and select them when we want to use them. Um, and that, that uh, investment has been made. That investment's up at Griffith University. They run a group called Compounds Australia. Um, and that investment's been made. And so, uh, you know, it's, it's well underway. And I would say that I think we've got about another six months to go before we'll have completed that project and we'll have the full library in place along with all the infrastructure to support the use of that library. And do you get interest at this stage from, from researchers who are wanting to get into that? We do get interest. Um, it's modest interest. And I think that's because there's always a cost associated with running these types of screens. So when you think about trying to run a screen of 250,000 compounds over a protein, I mean, first you have to produce the protein. Uh, that's not easy in itself. Um, you, you can, you know, you're going to have to pr- uh, get that service. So we have the CSIRO who do that for us and they're world leaders in the way they produce that protein. Uh, but it, you know, it's a costly, it's long-term, it takes a lot of infrastructure to do so. Um, then you obviously need to have the capability to build the assays and have the machinery and the equipment to run those assays in a high throughput manner uh, because it, you, you can't do this manually. It's just too large a number of uh, compounds to run. So we do get some interest in it, um, but it's very modest because there are quite a lot of costs associated with doing this type of work. Mm. I want to maybe p- pull back with a, a broader global perspective now. What, what's your view on where we're at uh, with, with cancer research? Sure. I mean, well, actually, we've made really broad strides in maybe the last 20 or 30 years, uh, and in particular in the last eight or 10 years with the advent of immuno-oncology, where we actually harness the body's immune system to start fighting against against, against cancer. And we're starting to see you know, survival rates and, I mean, and, and actually cures in some cases that I suppose hitherto were, were unforeseen. Um, and so we're making huge strides forward. That said, it's from a fairly low, it's from a modest base, um, and there's still a lot more work to be done. So I think um, our understanding of the biology is advancing. Um, we're getting a better understanding of how these compounds interact with the body, but I think there's still a long way to go. And there's still, you know, when I say that we're getting great responses, um, what I'm talking about is that certain types of cancer now, uh, well, I mean, some are, we've treated exceptionally well, but certain types of cancer with immunotherapies may respond 25% of the patient population may get a long-term response and potentially a cure. Uh, that still leaves another 75% of the population that's still wanting. Mm. Uh, and so still, there is still a long way to go, but this is a vast improvement of what we've had historically. And what about the advent of you know, big data and the massive exponential increases in computing power? Is that assisting in, in the uh, health and medical research of, of, of cancer therapeutics? So there's no doubt that it's having a role to play in genomics and things like that. Um, it's, it's still, um, it's something that hasn't necessarily yet delivered the 
what we'd hoped it would, would deliver. And I think that is just because it's so complex. Uh, there's so much data, there's so much information. It's not a simple process of, you know, A plus B equals C. There's a huge number of disparate things that contribute to somebody getting cancer and continue, and every individual who has cancer, their cancer is unique in the way, in the, in the mutations and things that are driving that cancer forward. Uh, so it's, it, it has provided some advances and I have no doubt that as we harness it more, it will continue to provide advances. Uh, there's no doubt in my mind that it is, it has the potential to deliver phenomenal gains, uh, but it, but there's so much data out there and it's so complex that, you know, I think we're, we're, we're still, it's still going to be a period of time before we get the full benefit from that type of data. Now you've talked about um, partnering with Merck and partnering with Pfizer. Those guys are scanning the globe for, for opportunities. Are they increasingly looking at Australia from, from your you know, lived experience? Absolutely. Uh, yeah. I, I think there's a real recognition that Australia does have brilliant fundamental research and that there are a limited number of avenues to take that fundamental research, that research that's happening in our medical research institutes and universities, forward through the translation life cycle. Uh, so I think there is a lot of interest in Australia. Uh, you know, most of the major pharmaceutical groups have some kind of business development presence here. Um, and if they don't have a presence here, they at least have individuals who scout here on a regular basis. So I think that's absolutely true. There's no doubt in my mind that Australia is on the radar of Big Pharma because it has such great fundamental research. And without giving anything away <laughs> that you shouldn't, do you have any tips for you know people listening to the podcast today about how do you deal with a, a multinational like, like a Pfizer or a Merck Sure. I mean, and these are very, you know, they're very research driven and science driven organizations. So you need a hook. Uh, you need something that they're interested in. You need to find something that demonstrates you have, that, 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 that is synergistic with what they're after or complementary with what they're after. And once you have that hook, um, and it has to be a scientific hook if you're, if you're in the, on, you know, on the end of things where I am, we're not talking about products that are already commercialized where it's going to be a uh, you know, all based around the numbers, this has to be a scientific hook. So you need to be able to demonstrate, and, and usually what you need to get those groups on the hook is you need to be able to demonstrate in preclinical animal models that you can cure or at least successfully treat a cancer. And I think when you get to that stage, that's when the level of interest really starts to hype. Uh, but it also predominantly needs to be starting to look into the areas that they have a strong interest in. So things like immuno-oncology, I think um, chemotherapies are a tool of the past, um, and I think very, very few organisations would look to develop new chemotherapies now. So while they're still a mainstay of treatment, organisations are not looking to find new chemotherapies. They're looking to find new targeted treatments or, or even better, new treatments that um, use the immune system to fight cancer, uh, which is proven to be very effective. Um, and whilst I've got your crystal ball gazing, and again, without giving anything away, in your in your suite of projects, um, have you got anything that you're, you know, particularly excited about? Sure. And and, and actually, we, we publish the data of all, well, I say publish the data, we publish information about all of the targets that we're working on. There's some targets in particular that are in um, immuno-oncology that are our more advanced projects um, that we're very excited about. They stimulate the immune system in order for it to mount a response against cancer. Uh, there's still a lot of work to be done, uh, but they're very exciting. There's a lot of interest um, across the pharmaceutical spectrum in these types of treatments. 
and and they're you know they're, they really are very very exciting um, uh, in the way that they harness the body's immune system to do what it's meant to be doing mm. um, because actually the reason we get cancer is because at some point in time the immune system stops recognizing an abnormal growth normally it would recognize that and do something about it it stops to recognize it and this is a way to try and make sure that it can continue to recognize it again in the future so that's great news for for you for uh, the potential for the research to be commercialized and, and and revenue streams into australia but in particular good news for for patients down the road I mean, that's what it's all about, isn't it? Absolutely. And, and I think, um, you know, one of the great things about working in this space is that we have a, a bunch of really dedicated individuals who actually are embedded in the medical research institutes or universities that we collaborate with who are highly intrinsically motivated because the mission uh, that, that we see, you know, nearly everybody that you ever come across has somehow been impacted by cancer. And in fact, the highest cause of premature death in Australia and, and all Western nations is cancer. Uh, so it's, a, it's, it's, it's something, it's a mission that people are intrinsically motivated to uh, pursue. Um, absolutely, we want to have an impact on patients. That's our prime objective. Um, and we also want to create an, an ecosystem in Australia. Uh, we want to build a biotech ecosystem in Australia which is an innovation-driven ecosystem uh, and the type of, uh, I suppose, technology that a, a developed uh, country like Australia needs. Well, it's great to spend some time with you, Brett. Thank you for coming into our podcast studio today. My pleasure. That's Brett Carter, who is the CEO of the Cancer Therapeutics CRC. You've been listening to the MTP Connect podcast. Great to have you with us. And as we always say, if you've not yet subscribed, do so. That way episodes get automatically downloaded to your device. You don't have to do anything and it's free. Until next time.